Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Hey, good morning. Indeed, rescuing. Uh, it's quite an, quite an event. Rescuing in relationships. Rescuing. Boy, we, a lot of us need rescuing in our relationships. For yeah, sure. let's pray. Father, yeah. we thank you for this very beautiful day. We thank you, Father of God, that you are good, that you are in a relationship with us, that you initiated that relationship, and you've called us to be uh, part of your family. And, Lord, I pray today that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear at heart, to understand the revelation of that great invitation and the power, uh, that life-giving power that love brings, and how to love you, Lord God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors, ourselves. We also bind the powers of darkness that have done so much, worked so diligently in the area of wrecking relationships. And you said, you promised that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. And that includes, Father, separation, because that separation in relationships is very painful and sometimes even brings death. So I pray that you cover our families, those who work for us and pray for us in our worlds, our businesses, whatever it is, and however we're with people, that you cover and keep us, that we would be uh, understood that we would rightly divide and understand each other, that we would not project onto each other um, the lies and the uh, influences of, of the evil one, that we would not believe those lies about ourselves, Lord God, but that you'd speak to us today as the oracles of God and that you'd give us uh, your faithful witness and revelation. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, honey, getting along with others will never happen if you don't get along with yourself first, if you don't love yourself first. And so basically that means that I am the uh, lowest, uh, I can, uh, every, all relationships basically that I have with anyone else reduce down to my relationship with myself and how much I can get along with myself, know the truth about who I am and walk in the truth of God. So that makes everything very um, subjective. There's, you know, how I see myself really determines how I see you, how I respond to how you respond to me, and how we respond to each other, the perceptions, and that just gives a whole, whole playground of opportunities for the enemy to dive in there and do his dirty work. Yeah, it's tough for some people feel like they are their own worst enemy. Well, they really act that way. I, I, I think that goes right back to Second Timothy where, um, you know, the Lord is talking about it even in uh, that we're set up in opposition to ourselves. It goes back to the strong man who comes to divide the house. And the only way he can divide the house, if I'm one, you know, there's one person per person, and the only way he can divide my house and set me up in opposition to myself is to get me on some level to divide and not to like myself. And uh, I believe he does that through the separating the distinctions between the soul where's the and the spirit. And if you think about the soul, it is the accumulation of all of your uh, uh, beliefs, mindsets, belief systems, things that you've come to believe out of the pit of experiences, the snake pit from which you came. So, so the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Correct. Yeah. And, and they included in that would be what personality. Um, yeah, well, out of that comes, I think, our our personality. A personality is kind of how other people see us. Uh, and I don't know if we think of ourselves in ter- terms of having a personality per se, but um, I think other people perceive us. Their perceptions of us would be called our personality, I would say. I mean, that's my homegrown definition. I didn't look it up in the dictionary or anything, but, <laughs> but you can do that if you like. Um, so what happens is really from the point of the snake pit, even before you're born, you're already defined in some ways. Uh, we're claimed by God. God wants us. He made us, wants us. But we're still in the our ownership is up for grabs. Because even though God created us, he allowed us to enter into the devil's kingdom. So now there's a war going on for 
us and for who we are. And so the devil gets first, he gets the first move, if you will. Uh, once we enter the snake pit of life, this world, the, the, he gets to move and pull out of that snake pit of your your family. That's everything in there, everything they've learned, everything they've come to believe, um, and how they begin to teach that to you, including you know how our DNA has been tweaked through the generational curses to have, give us certain predispositions already, leaning, bending in certain negative areas and ways, so that you know the devil gets to shape us, and that shaping comes through the experiences and the results of those, our perceptions of those things. And then that is written, if you will, onto the program of the soul. The soul carries the program. Uh, and it's, you know, in our mind we think and then we use that, <clears throat> we access that program through thinking and through feeling. And so, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, now, <clears throat> for someone that uh, may be listening for the first time, talking about entering the snake pit of life, mm-hmm. how would you just briefly describe that is this is this how things are in this present world yes this is how things are in this present world and our perception of them and of course when we're made in the beginning in our our, by god of course god can only make things according to his nature and he made us in his image and so but that image of god to love and resonate with truth and goodness and purity and holiness and beauty and stuff is obscured so when we when we are born we actually at that moment we uh, the divine nature is, is lost or obscured. It's not lost. It's just obscured, so we don't know it. So we come into this experience, this already built operating system called family. And whether you are the first, the oldest, the youngest, the middle, uh, everybody comes into a family. Everybody has parents. Now, some of the parents are absent. Some are there. Some are cruel. Some are good. Some are well-intended. Some are neglectful. It, you don't get to pick, and that's kind of the the beginning of a whole bunch of could be considered bitterness because it's not, you know, I didn't get to to choose, and so therefore I'm stuck with, you know, whatever it is I'm stuck with. But we're all stuck with stuff. The pit's the pit. And it doesn't, you know, it, it, the general rule is God does not want us to be overwhelmed, overtaken, or defined by the pit. Therefore, God has committed himself to rescuing us from whatever pit. doesn't matter what pit you're in. Um, but the relationships become vital and crucial because everybody needs love. Everybody needs to be Loved, and we can't live in a vacuum. We can't live in a place of avoidance where you don't want and have any relationships. So, what about what about the role of parents? Uh, the important role of parents in forming uh, who we are, uh, how we view ourselves. How, how does that work with uh, well, uh, it, you it, know, young children that are born in you know various environments, various parenting situations, some great, some horrible. Mm-hmm. Well, we know. It's a big we, area, I, I know. I, I think it's a, a big area, but I think the question is already pretty obvious that we all know that we reflect our parents. We react to our parents. Um, children are not initially actors, but reactors. And so if they're freaking out, throwing fits, um, they're either reacting to you as a parent or they're reacting to something that they're perceiving. Like, for example, even before they meet you face to face, I mean, your child is going to know you if you're the mother, just by you know being carried in in your womb. But at the same time, they may have also been introduced to Satan, the enemy, the evil one, through the spirit of fear, or panic, or starvation, or any number of other things, death, even already in the womb. So they're already beginning to uh, form their their self concept and their survival concepts before they're even born. And that's very interesting because by the time you're seven years old, basically the enemy has already um, pretty much uh, defined us. Um, it's, uh, going back to survival, uh, you know, that's one of the basic, there are three basic uh, activities or issues or problems that human beings need to solve. One is um, survival. Of course, that's the survival. And it's not the survival of the fittest. Obviously, that is even a lie because in our society, many of the fittest people die young, and some of the very most unhealthy people are able to survive a long, long time. So it's not like a, a natural selection kind of thing, as Darwin would have given us to believe. The second thing people are forced to uh, define or to obtain or to uh, solve, problem solve, is um, their righteousness. Um, what makes me good? What makes me bad? Because the devil wants you to base your goodness on behavior, so I'm good and I and you'll love me if I do good. Therefore, the converse, if I do bad, if I'm naughty, then it's my fault and you won't like me. And if something goes wrong, it's my fault because 
Um, I'm the center of my world when I'm a, a little child. And the third thing is responsibility. Whose fault is it? Who should be blamed for this problem? Because as problem solvers, we're always looking for the original cause. So that makes an automatic, easy step for the devil to get us back to taking responsibility for things that we never had any responsibility over in the first place. Like, for example, sins that are committed against us. Mm-hmm. I uh, spoke with a um, commander of a, a, a police department uh, just a couple of days ago, and he was talking about in his precinct, 80% of the kids do not have a father figure around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how, how, does, that how does that affect? Leave? Well, that yeah. makes me think, first of all, that um, I'm not good enough to have a father, or there's no my father doesn't care about me, um, or I'm not important, or um, I'm vulnerable, I'm on my own, um, so I'm going to have to be strong and tough myself. Well, it's, and it's like, or if you get together with other kids, it's like, you know, there's an identity that none of us have fathers. It's not even an issue. Mm-hmm. It's just so they form, yeah. mom. Well, they form their own gangs that way. Sometimes there's their family-less, that's not a word, but or the kids are homeless. They go onto the streets. They join gangs. They come into like company, people of, of hearts and dispositions and similar experiences so they can relate to each other. So they're feeling accepted, at least at that level of whatever level it is of naughtiness or breaking the law or survival or whatever it is. So but we are we are designed to have relationships with other people. Absolutely. And we're designed to need them. And yeah. so if we don't have the proper ones or if the proper ones aren't working properly, then what we're going to do is we're going to form makeshift um, families and um, uh, groups. And that's where a lot of problems come. But the, the thing is, those groups, we're also in the process of developing a self-concept. We're actually, you know, for, you know kind of like reading the, the events, the circumstances, uh, that of experiences, the things that happen to us, and using those to re integrate into us it's like kneading the the dough they get kneaded back into my self-concept so if you're in a negative you know like for example if i was kneading bread if you know what that means guys you bake bread you throw it on the board the cupboard and then you start to pound it together and pull it together and knead it together and so but if the if the cupboard if the if the top of the the cupboard where i'm kneading the bread has got sand in it or dirt on it as i knead that environment becomes part of the internal concept of who I am because it's pulled in with that process of learning and that process of of of, of manifesting and responding to our relate our our uh, circumstances and environment. So the environment kind of gets incorporated into the self concept. Mm-hmm. So if I find acceptance among gangsters, then I'm going to make myself a good gangster because I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. Um, if if I can't find anybody at all, then the other many demonic options are available. Of course, the devil can cause you to become very isolated, withdrawn, um, pull back, uh, don't involve yourself, um, you know, withdraw into your own little world. And then, of course, he can create for you a fantasy world. And in that fantasy world, you know, life is as you would like it to be. Um, so there's a, just a whole bunch of things people can try to survive by pulling it within themselves or they can survive by trying to, um, you know, fight their way through it. And I think a lot of times people don't realize how spiritual, uh, how much spiritual stuff is really going on here. They're just, we're very, if I can take a little segue, we're just so unaware of the diabolical spiritual intensity of the warfare to destroy us, conceive, deceive us, corrupt us from the, first moment of uh, you know conception to the first breath you breathe to the last breath you breathe it is nothing but war mm-hmm. so it is and, and, and the, a lot of the war has to do with our desire for approval and acceptance you mentioned earlier about righteousness mm-hmm. you know am i good now that's the thing is am i good we're, we're born with that um, mm-hmm. desire to say yep you know, I, I, I need to have some sort of um, approval. Well, yeah, you're right. Because, see, if we're born made in that perfect image of God, and then we're thrown into this shockingly filthy, unclean, fearful pit called life, it's like a shock. And everything that you are recoils against everything that's going on. And your initial and almost constant reaction is to try to return to get back to 
the place you came from. It'd be like as if you were uh, you lived in in a palace and you had fine, pretty clothes, and you were the princess or the prince, the son or daughter of the king. You had servants. You had everything you wanted. You were respected. You were well taken care of. You were loved. You were decked with jewels, and then you're thrown into this this you know stable full of horse muck and and filth and pitchforks and stepping on things and snakes and filth everywhere. And and so what happens is we lose immediately, or if we even ever had it to begin with that real, we have an innate kind of an uh, unidentified concept of beauty and goodness and holiness, which causes us to recoil at the pit. But then we do everything in the pit to fix the pit, fix the mud, straighten it out, figure out how I got here. But in the process the enemy says, well, you're the reason for the pit. It's your fault you fell down in that mud. Mm-hmm. Not, of course, taking any uh, responsibility himself for the fact that he was the one who made the mud and put the snakes in the pit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and people, you know, so much of that, well, I guess we call it self-concept, is determined by mm-hmm. the opinions of other people. You said our environment, mm-hmm. our experience, our circumstances. A lot of it is just words. There's there's such power in words. There's uh, Proverbs says there's death and life in the power of the tongue. So there are people that uh, will approve of us by their words and their actions, and there are mm-hmm. people that will disapprove of us because of certain things that we do or don't do. Mm-hmm. And so, so a lot of times, aren't we just kind of at the mercy uh, of the opinion of others and and so we form that idea about ourselves, and when we can be really way off base as to who we really are. <laughs> well, absolutely, because our concept is formed with the information and the materials we have. It's like building a house, and you build it out of what's available, not realizing the Word of God, which is an absolute foundation of solid rock. But we don't have that to begin with, and so we bound, bangle, figure out, fall down, um, you know, kind of frustrate ourselves trying to figure out how to get through this. So we build a concept of ourselves, and somehow, once we have that concept, by the time you're seven years old, you probably got most of your self-concept already formed through the interactions with the enemy and stuff. And a lot of times, we don't want to give that up. We think that that's somehow sacred. We think that our first initial response to something is somehow the truth, because it truly happened or it really happened. So we, we hold on to our experiences, our life, as if it's a sacred little um, you know, trophy, you know, we wear the T-shirts, I've survived, you could say I've survived my own life, but we don't realize that that survival, I, I, the pit that the the enemy is using to destroy you, God is also using and allowing, permitting that pit to be what he's using to make you. So when the Lord brings his word into our lives, which he does, then it's time to give up the pit and the, the self-concept that we actually formed in the pit. And part of that, because we've survived in that pit, Jerry, we have we have hurt other people. We have taken, we've bullied, we've controlled, we've uh, judged, we've become critical, critical, or we've been criticized, and so we um, we have. There's a lot of forgiveness of self that needs to begin. Um, and then we, you know, another thing we have a tendency to do because we hate injustice, and because the pit is full of offense, is to take it personally, to get mad, stay mad. Um, uh, distrust God, uh, others separate from the, the dangerous people and whatnot. And so therefore, we have a way of building walls and moats around ourselves. And therefore, we're very difficult to relate to. So going back to relationships, if I don't like myself, how am I going to let you like me? How am I going to let you love me? I'm the spirit of rejection or rejection of love or fear of love is going to push away the love that others are giving you and wanting to give you, and then, then it just reinforces to you the fact that you're unlovable, which isolates you even more in that loneliness. Yeah, so we're very fragile that way as to if someone really approves of us or accepts us and, and what, we, what we see as loving us, they're doing that. Then we just, you know, we, we kind of got the warm fuzzies, hey, mm-hmm. it's okay. But if that person should turn around and reject us, hurt us, or if that person uh, yeah. is um, inconsistent, and that's usually what happens. There's inconsistency in our relationships. So, you know, they'll love you one minute or seem to be nice to you one minute, um, and the next minute, you know, they're betraying you or they're selfish or they're acting in their own best interests. 
which goes, which divides and develops a sense of distrust. I can't trust you. Therefore, and, and sometimes we're being deliberately deceived by that niceness lured into mm-hmm. a relationship where we will become the devil's lunch. But sometimes it's just that they themselves have demons, which is probably more than, you know, 90% of the case. And so people go back and forth, up and down. They're, they're also struggling in their own lives because nobody has the ability within themselves to love anyone or to be nice or stay consistent. Uh, there is a love, I believe, that comes from God uh, that he gives parents for children. But if the enemy has already been there, well-established, that can be a, a horrible, that can be the, the worst nightmare around because, you know, people, you think, you think, well, my mom should love me, my dad should love me, but when your dad and mom are the ones who are the worst enemies in your life and they're, they're abusing you, violating you, abu- uh, um, re- allowing you to be sexually uh ritualistically abused by others and don't don't step in they actually give you like in the olden days in idolatry in the days of idolatry they were giving their sons and daughters to the um the priests to be sacrificed so that the parents could uh their fortunes could be blessed or their, the rest of their family could be protected from evil spirits and it's like um you know this kind of betrayal is so common that is, it's hard to trust. And so if there's an inconsistency in the relationship, which a lot of times there is, um, people have bad days, they get angry, they get offended, they get upset. They, because you're working with other flawed human beings. Mm-hmm. And so we don't. there's a need for a lot of grace and forgiveness, as Jesus said, love one another. And so that's a huge commandment when you can't love yourself. But if we can go for a second you know, into this idea of loving ourselves, we have to forgive ourselves. Or not being perfect. A lot of times we, we have that innate sense of I should be perfect. I want to be perfect. And so we're motivated by the devil who comes along and says, well, you need to improve yourself. So we have a lot of Christians even who are working with a lot of, a lot of self-improvement, self-help uh, lifestyles that are just, you know, lose five pounds, um, read, read my Bible consistently, you know, uh, go to church or not go to whatever. We've got all these little, um, uh, you know, to, on our to-do list, all these little things we've got to do to be good. Five-step program for this. Oh yes. So and it, yeah. we get mad at ourselves because we cannot do it. It's it's and then we become bitter against ourselves. So if your relationship with yourself is filled with bitterness, your relationship with God is it's because your relationship with God is feeling tasting bitter because God shouldn't be letting all this happen. Why did God let this happen? Why is God letting this? Bitterness is always coming. It's a swallowed anger that always comes out of confusion and the question, why? Why is this happening to me? So I have to explain that. The devil asks the question to your mind, to your soul, to that software in your soul, the body of death software. Why is this happening to me? So then he begins to plant answers to the question, well, because you're not loved, because you're not liked, because God's mad at you, because God's not fair, because people aren't fair, whatever, whatever. So the bitterness comes from uh, that self-bitterness, I should have known. It's like this, the devil's trying to make you sour on yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this idea of, of like a bitterness toward God, mm-hmm. there is that God concept. I mean, there, you know, and you... You have to really go a long ways to deny that there is a God. You have to really kind of work at it. Work really work wear yourself at it, out. Wear, wear yourself out to do it. But but the, another thing related to that is that the idea of God. In other words, if if there's God, then things should be going better for me mm-hmm. than they are. Um, and if God is so good, then why is this happening to me? Right. And and so, well, misinterpretation of what's happening, what's happening, always gets applied to God, back to God, yeah. And we're saying, well, God, you're not good. Well, you don't care. Uh-huh. And then we get angry again. So so we got we get a bad attitude toward God or our concept of God. Yeah, right. Right. And that leaves us in worse shape than what we Well, you know, I think the thing is, again, lack of truth, lack of training, lack of teaching that's absolutely true and solid. Nowadays, people get all kinds of training and programming uh, constantly from what? The television sets, their schools, the streets, society, uh, the movies. media, yeah. movies. And all of it is garbage, people. Our number, if you want to talk to us, is 347-215-8051. 3472158051 we we invite you into the conversation 
And in the meantime, you know, to know that this, you're not going to find your love for yourself. You're not going to find love for others. You're not going to find the true concept of who you are or God is. In looking around you in the events, you're going to have to look back into the solid um, Word of God. And please use a solid version of the Word of God. Don't just use something that's half-cooked, half-baked, and half-translated. So let's look at a couple of questions. Objects, I believe, that uh, cause us to be poisoned in our self-concept by the devil um, and keep us from knowing about the, the truth about who Jesus is. Because ultimately, your self-concept is going to be defined by Jesus Christ and who he is. And you're going to learn about who you are by not trying to study yourself or make lists of your behaviors or what food you ate today or what, you know, your you know, determining your own future, but by actually studying the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is not far out, it is truly far out, but it's the way it works because to know Jesus is the beginning of knowing yourself. So many people, the obstacles or the obstructions that come to that light of freedom, Jesus brings light, he says, I'm the light of the world. He that comes to me will will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think a lot of people have a false light. Um, Jesus said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? So if the light that you're, the, the, what you're walking in, following, pursuing, how many people think, if I just get the right career, if I just find the right vocation, if I just, you know, make this mon- much money, if I can find just the right live over, huh? The just right, yeah. The right well, that's really important. But I um, mean, <laughs> but if I can just do it right, get it right, and then it'll be right, and I'll be good. Mm-hmm. So, um, so preoccupation, preoccupation with myself. Um, you know, sometimes people are preoccupied with their sins, um, and something that's, you know, you're living under that guilt condemnation. And of course, those kind of people are going to be living in a lot of bad luck, uh, poverty, pain, and health issues. People, if you are those three things, pain, um, which comes from guilt and shame, condemnation, guilt, uh, will bring pain, poverty, and sickness. So if you're in that category, you are believing the lies that I am guilty, it's my fault, and you have a question with sin and goodness. So I need to try harder to be good. Yeah, we can we can be preoccupied with our own uh, sins. Yeah. Or we can be preoccupied with the sins of others that others have True. committed against us. That's called bitterness. That's called judgment, condemnation, criticism. Right, that's not called, none of this is love. None of this is the manifestation of love. And by the way, love is not a feeling because it's a commandment. You can't command a feeling. And so what God, you don't come, when you command someone to do the dishes, uh, which, you know, we sometimes tell our children. Anyway, it's not based on when they feel like doing it. You say, honey, when you feel like doing the dishes, then go do the dishes. You just say, go do the dishes now. Mm-hmm. And so the dishes get done. The feeling's not there. So love is not a feeling as we would think of it. Love brings a feeling of peace. Um, and I think peace is really what, what it's all about, feeling the peace of God and not feeling the um, the judgment of God, feeling like you're in right standing with God. But when people are all preoccupied with their sin or their own goodness, which goes back to the original creation of me, then we're preoccupied with ourselves. And mm-hmm. is that what the Word of God says to do? Mm-hmm. I think of the Jesus told a story of the Pharisee and the publican. The publican went before the Lord and said, mm-hmm. "Hey, you know, I thank God I'm not like other people. Mm-hmm. At least I don't mm-hmm. do this." Uh, and he thought he was just congratulating himself for being what he thought was yeah. a righteous, but he mm-hmm. was actually self-righteous, and he was actually had a whole. He was blind. He was really blinded was to deceived. who he really was. Right, and so there's that's the the blindness that religion will bring. And I believe a lot of times, again, we're substituting religion, uh, religion, reality, reasoning for yeah. for truth. Yeah, I need to go to church. So I'm I'm going to church now. Mm-hmm. What's well, nothing against going to a good, you know, be involved in a good church. Yeah. But if you're looking for that as a kind of a, you know, brownie points mm-hmm. with God mm-hmm. or brownie points for yourself, because right. it's, you're, you're, you're showing yourself that, hey, I'm at least... Uh, at least I'm going to church, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's missing the mark as well. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. It's not about brownie points. It's not about being good. It's not about tallying up good works. It is really the good works that we're seeking come actually quite easily as fruit 
out of abiding. Now, abiding in Jesus Christ who is the vine is the true uh, concept of the church, abiding in him. And that doesn't mean it isn't always easy to be a branch, but it's technically not hard. You know, branches don't have to go to school to be branches. They don't have to, um, you know, shape up and uh, do exercises and straighten out or pull their weight or anything like that to be a branch. But it is miserable being a branch. Sometimes I think when the wind is whipping out there and it's blowing and it's cold and it's icy and it's raining and it's sleeting and it's whatever, it's not fun being a branch, but the branch continues through the good to the bad to abide in the vine. Jesus is the vine. Same with us. And as you abide in that vine, there will come out fruit. Now, fruit is better than works because you can eat fruit. You can live on fruit. Fruit will give you life, you know. And people, a lot of times people, they they want the fruit, but they don't want to abide to get that fruit. So they work instead because then they're under their own auspices, their own counsel, their own uh, liberty to do this or that, and they don't have to give an account to God. However, then you're also on your own. The one thing you mentioned, too, early in the program today uh, about the desire that we have to survive. I mean, it's just one of the, it's just a built-in natural desire mm-hmm. to survive. But then what about, you know, the idea of uh, the pursuit of riches, personal safety, right. uh, to, to kind of uh, our security, surrounding well, ourselves the, with those uh, accoutrements gr- mm-hmm. that would supposedly keep us safe, keep us protected, keep us insulated. You know, uh, Proverbs says that a rich man's wealth is his strong city. In other words, that's his place, it's his bulwark, it's his place of, mm-hmm. of refuge. Yeah, it, but he's putting his trust there in those But doesn't, isn't it James riches. who talks about the deceptiveness of riches? Mm-hmm. Isn't it James? Mm-hmm. And so what you're saying, well, is the Bible contradicting itself? Well, I believe the, the Proverbs is saying, yes, you know, and, and isn't there a proverb that says money answers everything? Yeah, but what, <laughs> what people are, you know, well, saying, they, yeah, is the, having riches in themselves is not wrong. But if you're looking for them, you know, to uh, be it's like, the completion like, it's of like, you, like one, uh, right, right. Then, then you're missing the mark. It's like one uh, uh, famous uh, actress uh, of years ago said, "I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better." Uh, but, you know, it's nice to have the things right. that we need well, to sustain our life and so forth. But if you're looking to that to to um, to establish your identity, mm-hmm. to establish your significance right. just in your own right. pursuit a lot of, times, of security and mm-hmm. yep. your accumulation yeah, of riches. Yeah, I, I think that I know people who actually have been very rejected by their families and unjustly so. Um, cast out by a father, by a parent, by the family altogether, and they decide that they're going to prove that they're good and lovable by getting rich, uh, by proving to dad that I am better than you say I am. And, of course, some people go the opposite way and say dad says you're never going to match anything, so they go and live up to that, which is living down to that. Um, So these words are very, very powerful, but when we're talking, can I just, you know, when you're looking at things in the Bible that are contradictory or seem to be paradoxical, um, we have to realize that heads and tails are on the same coin. And so there's a, there's a, uh, the riches he's talking about in Ecclesiastes, comfort that they give are, are, are nice, they're a blessing. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that riches can fly away. And as a matter of fact, even in these last days when everybody's scampering and scurrying to figure out how to secure yourself, um, you know, your security is in the will of God. It's in, and, and you say, oh, no, no, what is the will of God? I don't know. The will of God is where you are right now. Read the word of God. God knew you'd be in this, this very spot, this very day, at this very hour that you're hearing this very broadcast. And he now wants you to know that you are in his will. He permitted you to be at some point, and that this may be that point where you're in a wilderness, where you're in a kind of a backed into a corner. Moses got backed into a corner called the Red Sea. Uh, Jesus got sent into a wilderness called the wilderness. So it's not like you're out of God's will. It's not like God's mad at you, like you took a wrong turn. Stop worrying about that and just say, okay, Lord, I'm here. I need to look to you for guidance. You're the way. And most of us don't realize how much we need the way of escape, the way out. And there's always only really one way. But I've noticed in my long life already 
that for as complicated as it can be and as many things that can go wrong, it, 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 there is one path in every conundrum, in every situation, even in the, the debates that we have going on in society these days over very critical issues, uh, homosexuality, abortion, blah, blah, blah. There is one way that Jesus Christ has preserved for us to go on one path that will work. That will work. I promise you. All the other paths are like these, they're dead ends, they fall off the cliff. But the one way that Jesus, and so Jesus knows where you are. The will of God is where you are right now. But the point of it is what are you going to do in this position? Are you going to cry out to God or are you going to try to do it yourself again and become, as we started in the beginning of the program, your own worst enemy by confusing, by listening to the spirit, the spirits, that, the demons that talk to your soul and not take captive those thoughts. So going back to, you know, who am I? Uh, well, I am what the Lord says I am. I am uh, made in his image. But getting hung up in, you know, whether it's riches or personal safety or educational goals. I know a lot of people, too, who they've gone to college, you know, to try to straighten their life out or get a, a second start on life or, you know, uh, make something of themselves or prove that, you know, they've got a college. Somehow having a college degree makes somebody better than somebody who doesn't. And somebody who has a Ph.D. is even better than somebody who has a B.A. It's like, okay, um, are you that insecure? I mean, if you got a Ph.D., fine. You know, I, I prefer, actually, I won't get a Ph.D. I will not. You know the reason I won't? It's because I don't need one. I don't have to prove to anybody I have one or don't have one or that's going to make them like me or approve of me more. I, I, I just disregard titles. I mean, if you want to give me a title, you want to put a label on me, fine. But I know who I am, and God knows who I am, and probably in the courts of heaven I have seven PhDs. Who knows? And I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't need them. But people do that. They have, they, now, I am my, the, the initials behind my name. All that tells me is that you've turned in a bunch of homework and maybe written a book or two. Uh, and somebody else has acknowledged you, and someone who has no authority probably at all, really, and nothing of the truth invested in them has invested in you, a de- declaration that you're wa- wonderful and set to go, and they had no, they, they have no credibility or honor in themselves. So why, Jesus said, why do you take honor from men? I know this is totally off the subject, but maybe somebody needed to hear that. Well, so, let me uh, read Second uh, Corinthians 10. He's getting me back on the 10, subject here. 10, 12. Okay. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Hmm. So that is... That shoots all kinds of holes in, it, in the theory of, oh, you, know, yeah, you know, our just, own self-righteousness and right, glory. Right. So, okay. yeah. And, and so this, again, is becomes a, a futile, futile pursuit that many people are involved well, it's in. It's like too, yeah. Well, look at you know, look at this. How I mean, the house that my friend has, and wow, it's five thousand square feet. It's got an outdoor pool. You know, it's just everything is there. They got a four car garage. You know, jacuzzi and all the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm in this little uh, fifteen hundred square foot Rambler, and that you know that is just. Paul is saying here, don't do that. That, mm-hmm. that is silly. That has it nothing causes, to do wait, with our true How do you know you're not supposed to do that? Because if you reduce it down to the lowest common denominator of fruit, it's called frustration. It's called jealousy. It's called, um, you know, discontentment. Is that from heaven or hell? That's from hell, and it, and it certainly doesn't help us in our relationship yeah. with ourselves and if you or go back, in relationship with other people If you well. go back to the most uh, ideal characters and examples of true um, spiritual uh, security, self-concept. Go back to the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the prophets in the Bible. These men, look at, look at. I mean, some of them, yeah, they maybe had a palace or they one or two came from a palace, were kicked out of a palace. You know, some of them lived in prisons, some of them lived, lived in deserts, some, some didn't even have a place, so they had to have a widow give them a place to live when they were on, in their, on their journeys. But you know, the thing is, these are the great men and women of God. And most of them, the world wasn't worthy of them. They didn't have a place to lay their head. Now, I'm not, uh, you know, recommending that you go live outside and, <laughs> you know, but and camp out instead of, you know, using a table and chairs. But the thing is, it's about spiritual stuff. It's not about 
material, physical stuff. And I think a lot of people are really bound by their stuff, you know, and they think of themselves in regard, I equal my stuff. Well, I don't equal my stuff. That's a lie. If I have a lot of nice stuff, I'm nice. If I have nothing, I'm nothing. That is, those are two lies that the devil, the devil tries to get us to buy into. And back in the 80s, uh, it was the whole uh, idea. It was kind of a buzz phrase that the, the, the one that dies with the most toys wins. Well, yeah. the one that dies with the most toys still You know, still I wins. think having so a lot of toys. It, it still dies, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't yeah. have Jesus. Well, just Jesus think of those loser. toys, how hard you work to keep those toys, keep them polished, keep them well-oiled, build garages to put them in. Um, your work, your life becomes controlled by a, the objects. A, become a slave to your you know, stuff. And that's not a slave to your stuff, stuff, yeah. But don't... You, let, let that stuff be your servant, not your slave. But anyway, back, yeah, so back to personal um, choices and hardships and things. Jesus says to love one another, and I think the, the whole uh, heart of the matter, is if we can look at James for a minute, um, in James chapter 3, he's talking about wisdom. He says, 3.13, he says, uh, who has wisdom among you? Who has wisdom and understanding? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. So we see there is a, a demonic system of wisdom that will cause its sensual, sensual its based on uh, observances, uh, appearances, accomplishments, stuff, accumulations. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peacemakers, the ones who make this peace, the ones who have this wisdom, are content with who they are. And they're also content with the idea of the Holy Spirit working in them, working through them, working the image of God in them. And so they're not um, uh, trying to compare themselves with themselves or, uh, you know, uh, race against others. So that wisdom is first pure. That means that I'm not looking at my own kind of um, track record. I'm not trying to um, be anything different than who God says I am. His work in me is good and pure which creates a great peace inside of me. That peace has to be inside of me. I have to be secure in who I am before I can um, recognize or uh, be a part of bringing that peace to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. gentle. It's it's gentle. And so there, there's wisdom, and the wisdom is really uh, rightly applying, knowing, knowing the truth, knowing what's right, and then what to do with it what course of action to take and applying that to ourselves. So, so really, uh, well, can I go on yeah, gentle? Go it's gentle. It's, um, it's, it's soft and not, not weak, but not demanding in that, you know, not judging. I think this gentle means just more, um, content, not passive, uh, not okay with doing nothing, but simply, kind, merciful, understanding. Uh, when, you're, when you pick someone up, you know, um, that's been bruised or burned or are battered with life and you pick them up, you must be gentle because there's so many places on them that are already wounded and hurt. And so when you're gentle with people who are broken, their hearts are broken, their spirits are broken, their lives are broken, that gentleness becomes a, a manifestation of love. And then willing to yield, that means I don't have to have my way in order to be okay. You know, and that sort of rhymes with I don't have to have my way in order to be okay. I'm willing to yield, you know, my opinion, your opinion. If it's an opinion, it's just an opinion. Now, if you're, what you're saying is the word of God, um, rightly divided. A lot of people say the word of God, but I talk about it, preach it, use the Bible to beat people up over the head, but they're not, um, they're not truly. Not rightly, rightly divided. Right, yeah. So they're not, so, but if, if it's just an opinion, how to do the dishes or how to mow the lawn or how to plant the garden or whatever, you have your way of doing it. I have my way of doing it. About the, your opinions about whatever characters, 
movies, political pe- people, it, their opinions, and a lot of them are based on the information you have, and maybe someone else has different information. It might be good or bad information. But when we are y- willed, willing to yield in points that don't matter, it's like they say, pick your battle. There's some things that are not worth fighting over. Full of mercy, again, being like Jesus to someone else. The, what was it, the Good Samaritan? Um, he had nothing to gain by stopping along the road and taking care of that broken, hurting man. He actually had a lot to lose because he lost time. He lost money. You know, he, he maybe was on a schedule or whatever. He, lost, he had a lot to lose. He was willing to lose it to help this guy because it was simply the right thing to do and because he was full of mercy. The other two guys, the Levite and the priest, religious people who were too good for this or um, they were too busy for this or it wasn't that man wasn't that important to them or he was just another um, you know victim there you know why should they take the time but be full of mercy what God who God brings into your life love them that's what it's all about loving the Lord your God loving them and love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things and love never fails even though love may get beat up and worn out um, because it is hard to love and not be loved back. A lot of you are, are working to pass a love test right now with your children, and you need to stop freaking out about what they're doing. Uh, settle down. Get back into the Word. Give them to God. That You've already dedicated them to God. They're God's problem. You're not going to fix it, and God is working on you while he's working on them. So you let the Lord work on you. And you respond to those children the way the Holy Spirit gives you, what he gives you to respond. And don't freak out in your own anxiety, your own frustration, your own opinions, your own mindsets about them. Uh, because all of that freak out is just going to it's going to translate, transfer to them as mom and dad don't believe in me. They don't think I'm doing the right thing. Um, they're, um, you know, whatever. Do not uh, communicate or transfer that panic, anxiety um, loss of hope to your children because you're being tempted to lose hope. Does that make sense? So, yeah, the love tests. Now, really, we really, in order to to love with the love of God, there has to be, you have to have the love of God in your heart. You have to have, you can only do it through the Holy Spirit. Uh, you, because human love is basically, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. But the love of God is like, not like that at all. No, the love of God is more. And, and it, it, the love of God does not uh, look at um, just circumstances and say, well, if this is suitable for me, if this is convenient, right. as you pointed out, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Or, or if I'm going to get something back from this, you know. You know, I think a lot of people though a, are tr- are trying to um, their, their their love of God is somehow, um, you know, they're afraid that it's going to be enabling if they go the second mile or turn the other cheek. And so we've been all bound up with the words boundaries and and balance, and we're afraid to, you know, we will look like an enabler or uh, codependent and whatnot. And so the thing is what happens is we pull back and we manage the love, we monitor the love, we hold back, well, I'll, I'll love you when you behave. And you know, this gets confusing, but the, the, the love we are supposed to have for them it has to go a lot deeper, see into their heart, their soul, to love their soul. You know, you can love someone without loving their behavior, and the wisdom of God will show you how to look beyond their messy, uh, attention-grabbing behavior, whatever it might be, the rebellion, into the heart of that person, into the soul of that person, where you can feel... Um, uh, free to absolutely not withhold or restrain or, or constrain or limit the love that you're having for them. Because so, Yeah, because sometimes we're looking for, okay, I'm doing all this sacrifice, I'm doing all this loving, I'm, you know. But if you're counting it, if I'm doing all of this loving, you're actually, it's not love at all. It's, manip- it's manipulation and management. Love freely gives, love does not expect anything in return. That's the point. Mm-hmm. We don't have to expect anything. No, uh, there's going to be fruit from that love. You, oh, you do it. You do it in faith, but you're not looking for that. Yeah, we. You know, a lot of times response, that positive response, in order for me to 
if I'm going to continue loving you, I better get something out of it for right. me. That's, that's not well, even that. Jesus said that. He says, don't make a supper and invite all your friends. Invite the people who can't pay you back. Yes. But if I'm going to get something out of this, you know, and I want to get something out of this, it's better. it better be what's in it for me kind of thing. That is not love at all. Love, it willingly, freely lays down its life. And, you know, a lot of times we we want to avoid problems. We don't like the fact that our kids are messy, our spouses are messy, it's a tough, uh, tangly, uh, messy, demonic, lots of demon- demonic activity in these relationships. And we don't like them. And so we try to fix them, straighten them out, avoid them, um, get rid of them, whatever we can do, you know, to get a fresh start. Now, I understand there are some relationships where you're just you're drowning and God may give you an exit through the door and say you don't need to be here anymore. We're not, you know, saying there's never a chance or a time for that. But what I'm saying is, that we have to understand, too, that even just just because we're uncomfortable sometimes, and, and I'm, that's not the same as abuse, but, you know, God is using this, this crucible that you're in to perfect that which concerns you as well. It's not just he's working on the other person or, he's, or you're already finished. So whatever you're in is optimum pressure and temperature that's necessary to create the image of Jesus Christ and you're stamped the image of Jesus Christ. And you're just like when they make coins, there has to be an optimum pressure and temperature there has to be a hot you know melting of the metal and then a pressure to stamp the image of jesus on. so it's heat and pressure so if you're under a lot of heat and pressure begin to rejoice that god is using this to stamp his image on you and if you start rejoicing in the test it doesn't it's not a trial and a test anymore it actually becomes a triumph because you've overcome it so people don't realize that you're just seconds from victory by simply rejoicing and resting in God and trusting him to work all these things out. Now, whether they, they, they end up quickly ending or they last for the next 15 years, you know, some of our hardest tests are the ones where they go on and on because then the devil wants to say, well, this is never going to end. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, it goes back to trusting God. But I'm going back into James again, if we can, for a minute, um, kind of open this up and then <laughs> we open up a can of worms. James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask a myth that you might spend it on your own pleasures. So going back, where do wars come from? From the war within your own members. So the war that we see demonstrating in, in between nations, between families, between individuals, begins with the war that starts in our own members, in your members. Now, what are my members? Well, my members are my members, my body, my organs, tissues, operations, functions, my kidneys, my neurological systems, my heart, my brain. These are members, and each member is made up of many, many, many members as well. So we have you know, the members of the brain, we have the members of the heart, the liver, the kidneys, whatever. And so when my members within myself, and of course the members of my soul versus my spirit, when, when I'm in opposition to myself, when I'm in war, at war with myself, um, th- that war ex- uh, kind of overflows into create wars and discussions and bitterness um, in our community. So the members, that war in your members, that war starts with the enemy who, again, goes back to the beginning, sets us up into places where we are always, you know, listening to ourselves, taking self-talk, talking to ourselves. But we're not telling ourselves the truth. What we're doing is we're telling ourselves what we know or think we know from past experiences and how we feel. I'm afraid. I'm depressed. I'm no good. I'm alone. I'm anxious. Now, these are all, believe it or not, demons. You can name them just like that. I'm anxious. Where are you from? Is anxiety from heaven or hell? So anxiety is stirring up within your members, you know, the panic, the irritability, the frustration, the fear. And he does that through tension in your muscles, through, you know, lack of minerals. I mean, he messes with your neurological systems, with your nutrition, you know, maybe causes you to uh, have a, 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 a missing minerals. And so you're, you're edgy, you're exhausted, you're this, you're that. And so the war he has to begin inside of us before the war can go outside of us. So that's just a basic principle. It has to start or originate inside of our members. 
Mm-hmm. That's what Luke is saying. And yet most people say, no, 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 the war, you know, I'm fine. The war starts when you don't do what I want you to do. Or the war starts when you're not nice to me or you steal from me. No, the war starts with a displeasure uh, inside. And, and I believe, like, for example, the war can be something like lust inside of us or an insatiable appetite, uh, you know, gluttony or greed or something like that, where there's an insatiable uh, vacuum where there's a where there's a a, a need a want a, a puts pressure on me to go and satisfy that need or to answer that need and so then in that craving or in that um, quest to respond to that to that uh, discomfort or that hunger that lust whatever it is, we then try to satisfy that by then we we reach out beyond ourselves to hurt people for example the spirit of lust if that craving for satisfying a sexual drive is coming uh, is an inordinate uh, affection, uh, it's causing you know trouble in your mind, and these are demons messing with your organs, your head, your mind. Then you you move outside of yourself to gather in someone who can uh, satisfy that need. You're, 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 it's like a, it's like a vampire looking for blood. You know, you're hungry for that blood. And so you go find a victim out there whose blood you can drink so that you can settle down inside. That's that's violent. That's that's uh, what is that? That's horrible. It's atrocious. But but and, and we don't recognize that we don't recognize though, the lust, the greed, the gluttonous spirits, the craving spirits. When Paul says um, in Romans chapter six, verse 12 in the Amplified, he said, he says, let not therefore, or permit not, let not therefore sin rule as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body to make you obey it in its lusts, mm. evil passions, and cravings. So the, the sin that rules in us, um, the, the, the enemy that rules in us, is setting up these very irritating circumstances and de- demons who are demanding, putting demands on us and in their demand for, you know, greed for money, for lust, for pleasure, they're putting that demand as we go and put that demand on someone else and that then creates those external wars. But the internal war comes, he says right here, from within your own members, war in your members, or you could say war in your flesh. You lust and do not have, you murder and covet it and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Um, and then he's saying, of course, if you really need something, if you need your body at peace, you need to be calmed down, you need to be satisfied, ask God. And also, I think part of that asking God is to recognizing that there is, you know, when you need something, if you need a glass of water and you give someone the cup and say, fill it up, but the glass has a hole in the bottom of it, you're going to never be, you got the, the water's going to go through there and you're still going to be thirsty because it's going to fall out of there before you can drink it. And so that's like the devil has knocked holes in our capacity, our cup, in order to receive, to be able to receive and obtain and be satisfied. The enemy's knocked um, leaks. There's leaks in it. And so we need to, to recognize, I need my heart, my broken heart healed. Mm-hmm. I need my broken spirit healed. I need to be delivered from the spirit of gluttony. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that we we are so... We've gotten to be so programmed. Mm-hmm. We talked about, you know, parents. Really, when you look at the scriptural perspective on this, the parents, you know, the relationship of parents to child, they're the ones primarily responsible for training the children well, in godliness and righteousness. Mm-hmm. Now, for the most part, that's not happening, even among a lot of Christian parents. So, no. so what I'm saying is that we need to undergo really a massive deprogramming mm-hmm. and reprogramming mm-hmm. to to order our lives, recognize who we know, who who am I really? And that's what God defines for us. We have to go to this absolute definition mm-hmm. of who we are in God, created by God, in his likeness, in his image. And right. uh, even though we've we've sinned horribly, yet uh, we've believed the lies of the enemies to such an extent. So it's it's a massive, really. The whole concept of discipleship is 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 retraining us. 
yeah. as to our true identity. And this is to be done by, you know, apostles, for example, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Externally. And, and externally. And but then for us, so we have to, they can give this that truth, but then we have to internalize it so so the, 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 the competing lies do not um, well, mess up the truth. Mess up the truth. Yeah, the so it, it can begins. Come through. It becomes. It, it actually the answer is in the house. The answer is the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. who is sent by God to rightly divide, screen out, destroy the the mechanisms, filters, perceptions, programming of Satan as he uh, influences us to agree with him, to repent, change our minds, confess those. Uh, lies that we believe, confess them before God as sin, abomination, uh, and and de- and declare the truth of God. That declare that I am part of the family of God. Declare that the holy. It's. I really believe people make it too hard, and they look again. You know what you're saying is right, but it can be very dangerous if I'm looking to apostles, prophets, and preachers and teachers. Because between you and me, honey. I don't know any. I don't see hardly any of them out there. I would entrust anything to in terms and and, and they're, they're, they they have got maybe forty percent truth and sixty percent lie and you know that doesn't help me out. I can't have someone who's forty percent on sixty percent off to tell me how to, to change my life. Amen. But the Holy Spirit is pure. He's faithful. He's inside of you, and you can talk with him just like you need to begin to submit to God, resist the devil, and do not allow the devil to, uh, through implication, get you to make, give him any implied consent. That's why we directly will say no greed, no lust, no gluttony. You're not. No, you're not. You, you appetite. No, you gambling. No, you addiction. No, you craving. No, not using my body. You're not in intention, fear, anxiety, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the sword of the word of God. I separate you. I command you to leave. So Jesus gave us power to cast out demons. Mm-hmm. I think the first place we need to cast them out is ourselves through the counsel, under the instruction and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's it, the Holy Spirit. It gets right down to this in all of this, in all of life. It gets down to really the Holy Spirit speaking to us, revealing the truth right. to us. through the word. Through the word mm-hmm. of God. And then... Let that be the authority, not, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Right. I'm apostle. I'm of Paul, Cephas. Apollo. I'm not this denomination, that denomination, this study, this Yeah, all that's going to go by the boards all pretty quickly. Stuff, you have to kind of just, not that God can't use some of that, but listen, you have to kind of push that aside. Right. Push that clutter aside and go... Straight, get it straight from the Holy Spirit, straight from the Word of God, mm-hmm. and so the, the whole the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are in cooperation. Mm-hmm. There's not a contradiction here. Some people say things that are they claim to be of the Holy Spirit that are really not according to the Word. Mm-hmm. So you that's that's the thing, friend. I just want to encourage you to let the Lord Himself, uh, who created you establish you as to your true identity so you can have that right relationship with yourself. Jesus said that, you know, the greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so, and that has you well, know, you know, through the Holy Spirit through the Word. <laughs> Obviously, this could take, we could talk you about this what? for a long I, time. I, I, next program, you need to go further with this. Well, I believe you're right. What do you think? I think we can do What do, do you that. know? I know that we can. <laughs> Speaking of knowing, I do know that we have a manual, a book written called Doing Relationships God's Way. It's available on our website. It's, uh, I don't know, almost a 100-page manual with lots of workbook uh, questions, types of pondering situations, lies you're believing, situations, uh, rules, family rules, things like that. So it's Relationships God's Way, and there's also a, a set of CDs that will yeah. go with that if you um, buy You have to buy them separately. But there's also... Um, couple more things I'd like to let you know now that you've listened to the whole time here and got through the end. We're going to be doing a conference on relationships this coming weekend, the first and second of um, May, actually, already. Wow. In Wisconsin, just over the border. It's not in the middle of Wisconsin or anything. And you can get all that info on the website, liferecovery.com. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I'm sure all the information is there, whether there's, it's, it's uh, going to be, um, 
all day, or Friday evening, I should say, I think about 6 or 7 o'clock, and then I'm pretty much all day on Saturday. And then the, the following week, the day before Mother's Day, which is May 9th, we're going to be having Troubled Kids Part 3, where we're going to be talking, and at that conference, we're going to have Karen Steen Finch with us as well, who's a nutritional expert, helping us to really get down to the nitty-gritty on how to to feed these kids, how to what what. What is your soap doing to you? What is your uh, what are the the plastics you're using? What's it all doing to your kids? To you? To you'd be shocked to find out how adverse this snake pit really is in every every dimension. So we enjoy and that's free. That's at the Holiday Inn. That's also on the website liferecovery.com. Just go there and register, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Um, that's what we do for you. You have to come. We can't make you come. Uh, but we'd love to see you there for your own um, benefit and the benefit of those that you love. So, um, well, we just thank you for joining us today. We thank you, Lord, for um, your word, which is true. Uh, We thank you for relationships. We thank you that there's a lot more to talk about. So, Lord Lord willing, we'll take part two of relationships next week. And um, God is good, so be blessed in Jesus. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thank you for listening. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Rescue Radio, because there's a war for your soul.